I want to thank our sponsor, Icarus Originals, who are a British-run company run by two servicemen that create high-quality aviation design cufflinks designed by the aviation community for the aviation community. All of their products are individually cast and handcrafted in the UK using only aircraft material recovered from certifiable sources. You too can own a bit of aviation history with these stunning cufflinks made from F4 Phantom XT907 and Tornado F3 ZE734. Make sure you head to their website at IcarusOriginals.com to check out all their amazing products and more. If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. So after the Phantom, you moved on to the Tornado. How did you feel about this? Um, I missed the Phantom. Um, most of us would like to have seen it make a bit of a longer term in, in service. There were modifications proposed to keep the aeroplane viable, um, change the radar, change the cockpit. Um, but in reality, it was a tired aeroplane. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily the operating system, but the actual airframes were starting to see the end of their life. Mm -hmm. um, so moving to the F3, for me, was a good thing. I'd had two years on the ground. I'd had an opportunity operating at the air-to-air -air missile establishment as their ops officer, um, running air-to-air -air missile firings in Cardigan Bay. I'd seen the F-3 and I'd seen how good it was in terms of a weapons system. Mm -hmm. um, I'd got the feeling it was probably better than the F-4 by the time I got to it. A lot of my compadres went to the F-3 and the F-2 days where it still wasn't a mature system and were a lot less positive about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I really sort of thought, mm, it's all right. Guys were starting to talk positively about it. I'd seen it as a weapon system quite well. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't upset. I was pleased to get back in the air. I was pleased to see the aeroplane. Uh, and as it turns out, it had a little bit less feel than a Phantom. But it still had feel. You could feel the performance. You could mm -hmm. tell what it was doing. If you got the wing in the wrong place, place when you were turning, um, I mean, that was obviously the big difference between the F4 and the F3 was yep. an extra lever mm -hmm. and the wing. But if you got the wing in the wrong place, you could, you could feel the difference in performance and mm -hmm. that you were doing something the aeroplane didn't mm -hmm. like. Um, the F4 itself, single 45 sweat wing, basically, mm -hmm. a typical 50s supersonic wing, um, wasn't optimized for slow speed or really super high speed and our slightly chubbier Spey engine model again had a higher drag as it went through the Mac. The F3, although less powerful than the Phantom, when you've got the wings moving, you had a much better drag profile, mm -hmm. particularly from about 0.9 Mach through the Mac, and again at low level. Mm -hmm. So by moving the wings and keeping the centers of gravity, pressure, and, and the amount of drag to the minimums, the aeroplane was a lot slippier. Mm -hmm. um, you only really noticed it wasn't so powerful when you were trying to, to sustain turn, mm -hmm. not sustain, sustain turn, uh, where it would bleed energy more quickly. Mm -hmm. You'd generate drag, and it didn't have the power to overcome the amount of drag mm -hmm. you were generating in the same way as the F4. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did chase an F-111 down a valley in Scotland. Oh, the really? F-111 was pretty damn fast at low level. Um, the head-up display used to, has a switch on it, which you can switch between indicated airspeed and Mac, but it doesn't show you both heads up. It only shows you heads down right. both. So I was chasing an F-111, and I noticed all the instruments flicker, and the aircraft had just slipped supersonic in a valley in Scotland without even giving any heartache or indication. I'd noticed no change in the acceleration. Wow and we caught the F-111, which you was always pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. So how uh, did you find it difficult 
you know, using the new wings uh, sweeper com- 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 coming from the Phantom, where there was just you didn't have to do that. Um, it was fairly intuitive, to be honest. Um, I think the only thing that worried me in the very early stages was when you break into the circuit, yeah. you generally have the wings back. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of power, you bring the aeroplane in, 450, 500 knots would be great, 420 knots in most places. Mm-hmm. You'd bring the throttles back, pop the air brake, turn the aeroplane and then move the wings forwards. Um, the natural instinct is to pull everything back. So until you get used to moving the wing lever forward mm-hmm. to go slower, there was a temptation on the brake to wing it, bring it back. And there was mm-hmm. the odd pilot going through the OCU who ended up downwind with the wings in the wrong place and <laughs> lots of uncomfortableness. Um, but no, not really. It, it, the training that we get was very, very good. The simulator, whilst not a moving simulator like we had in the F4, was a pretty good simulator mm-hmm. and you had a pretty good uh, opportunity to learn all the motor skills needed to operate mm-hmm. the aeroplane. So I didn't really have an issue with the wing sweep. It took a little bit of time, probably four or five months on the aeroplane, and, and I'd probably got into the front line before I was really comfortable mm-hmm. with moving the wings around. We also had maneuver flaps as well, yep. so we could use maneuver flap and slat in 25 and 45 wing, which again was something else the F4 didn't have, just had a big thick iron wing and you grunted away with lots of poke. Um, whereas the Tornado was a lot more subtle uh, and getting everything in the right place was just a little bit busier in the mm-hmm. cockpit. And you also flew the Tornado and the Falklands, can you tell us about this? Um, very similar to the F4 really, same role. Um, I preferred the Tornado in terms of operating in the Falklands. Um, it had a slightly better weapon system, much better navigation system, uh, and a better way of displaying it all. So the types of control you'd get in the Falklands from the, the ground would normally be a broadcast control telling you where things were geographically against mm-hmm. the reference. Um, the F4 was always lots of mental arithmetic to do that. You'd be using an EPAD map and having a look at stuff. Yeah. However, with the Tornado and the software in the aeroplane, the heads-down display would give you a, a a pseudo-generated map of the world and you could quite easily do that mental maths Mm -hmm. to work out where you were and what you were doing. Um, It's a great aeroplane to fly, great at low level like Mm -hmm. the F4, much nicer cockpit environment. I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, it was quieter, Mm a little bit more comfortable, slightly smaller cockpit but no, um, the seat was no worse or no better, Mm -hmm. just felt a little bit nicer to operate with Mm -hmm. the the volume that was in there, particularly when you were going fast. It was very little difference in sound between 300 knots and 600 knots. So down south again, (laughs) where you don't have people complaining, there's much freer airspace. It was a great aeroplane to operate down there. So how many hours have you got on Tornado? Uh, I seem to always just miss the thousand points, about 900. (laughs) So close. (laughs) Yeah, close, but no cigar again. Yeah. So what did you do after your your Tornado time? Uh, I ventured to a ground tour. My first ground tour um, after the tornado was an accident investigation. So I became a trained accident investigator. And for three years, um, the formal role was to advise Royal Air Force Board of Inquiries into accident investigation. Um, My role was to effectively connect all the specialists needed to inform the president of the board all the information he needed to conduct the investigation. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, It was. uh, An expert in procedures more than anything else, but as part of that I was a trained um, accident investigator. So uh, managed to get several courses out in of all places, the University of Southern California. So uh, it was very nice to be trained abroad. Not bad. Um, But that was enough to be able to to look at an accident site and at least make a first stab of where we thought the investigation should go and what expertise in in real detail would Mm -hmm. be needed. So David, you're also based in Malaysia. Can you tell us what your role out there was? Uh, Yes, I um, was appointed Director of Operations to the Five Powers Defence Arrangements. Um, The second oldest um, 
coalition to NATO in the West. So um, one that's been around a long time that most people have never heard of. Uh, it's an organization based out of Butterworth Air Base in Malaysia, just across from Penang Island uh, on the mainland. It was created in the 70s when the UK pulled out of the Far East and it's designed to provide a cohesive air defense environment for Malaysia and Singapore. The organization has morphed in modern times to a joint organization and its remit is to provide a coordinated defense in both maritime, air uh, and um, land for Malaysia and Singapore if threatened as an entity. Right. Now obviously both those countries have now developed significantly yep. and they could quite happily provide those facilities themselves mm -hmm. but the FPD remains as a joint organisation. Um, the combined air defence picture for Malaysia Singapore was, was always piped into the headquarters. Um, even though at times we wouldn't have a role and the nations would be doing their own thing, right. the organisation was designed to provide a steadfast support for the two countries. Mm -hmm. It was created out of the Indonesian crisis in the 60s to provide um, an opportunity for stability in the region and it still does that all the way through to today. Sounds like a, an interesting tour. <laughs> uh, it was a great tour. It was, um, I chose it if I'm being honest for location, Yeah. Um, but actually I found the job incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I'd spent some time in the uh, UK Joint Force headquarters and the Joint Force air component uh, and I took that skill into Malaysia and realised very quickly that the complexity of the exercises could be improved mm -hmm. and by the end we were doing joint maritime air with some land exercises out in the South China Seas uh, and a lot of diplomacy with two big exercises a year, a couple of small exercises a year and a lot of interaction between those countries and their partners was taking place on the back of those exercises. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Then you joined the Red Arrows in 2005, can you tell us how this came about? Uh, yes, I, at the time I was um, running East Midlands University's Air Squadron um, and I was given the opportunity to um, move from an instructor on there across to be Wing Commander Red Arrows. Um, the role was an interesting role, it was the, the way I would describe it would be senior supervisor for the team. So Red One leads the team, mm -hmm. uh, when it goes well Red One always gets the handshakes and the well done. Uh, but my job was to ensure the safe execution of both the workup and the display season to ensure that operating practices were safe, engineering practices were safe and at the same time to manage the airfield at um, Scampton. Mm -hmm. So when things didn't go particularly well I normally got a phone call from the AOC asking why um, but he never rang up and told me it was going well. That was good, I was, always went to the team leader. Um, it was a great job, fascinating to do. Um, I flew with the team, so I flew the 11th aeroplane around on the circuit. Um, I flew photo chase for the, the team when they were doing their things. Um, I never really wanted to be a Red Arrows pilot, so I think the role for me was, was most suited because I was always slightly cynical about the role and just treated it as another flying role. Mm -hmm. And I think to be supervisor, that was really important. Mm -hmm. But it was very quickly apparent the good that the team do both in the UK and abroad for mm -hmm. the Air Force and for UK PLC. Mm -hmm. And did you have a favourite manoeuvre that they executed from 2005 to 2008? Uh, not really, I liked all of it to be honest. Uh, I thought uh, Dickie Patternus, one of the Patternus, was a very, very good display. If you were to ask me a favourite display, I think his 2006 display season was probably the best Red Arrows season there was. Um, a fairly short display, 21 minutes, very tight. Um, his ability to go from rolling flat to full and keep the audience entertained without any gaps. There were no real off-crowd moments where there wasn't much happening, you yeah. weren't waiting for the team to turn up. And I thought it was an in-your-face display with great tempo. Um, I really liked that, I thought he was a very talented leader. And I think that was, if I was going to pick a display, I think the DO6 display was about the best. 
We'll see in the comments who disagrees with you there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Jace Hawker won't agree with that one because he took over for 07, I think it was. <laughs> did, yeah. So then you, went, you then went on to fly the tutor. Can you tell us about this role? Uh, yeah, I was given the opportunity to be the chief flying instructor at RF Cranwell, um, looking after three flying training schools operations, which was all tutor operations. So that's for Army, Navy and Air Force. Um, delivering all pilot training for the three services at the elementary level. Uh, I had five squadrons under command, one at Witten, 57 squadron, an army and a navy squadron at Barkston Heath, and then 16 squadron at Cranwell. Um, and then I also had 115 squadron, which was their standards and QFI training operation. We trained, um, the intent was about 200 students a year, but post the 2012 defence reductions, mm. that changed and was very variable for a while. Um, interesting job, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was nice to get back into teaching. I, I taught on the UAS and to be in, in mainstream teaching was really good. Great to watch the guys learn. Yeah. Um, the aeroplane was not a challenge to fly compared to the front line, but it had its quirks and it could be quite interesting to fly well. And of course, as an instructor, you really need to be able to have the aeroplane do exactly what you're mm -hmm. saying and be able to fly accurately. Uh, and it, was, it has a bowspring undercarriage, so it would, it would wobble on landing if you had any kind of drift on. Really? So it was always a, a professional pride in saying what you were doing yeah. and then not demonstrating to the student what happens when you land with some drift on. Of course, um, yeah. But it was good fun, and, and I enjoyed, again, it was an opportunity to fly um, some formations. I led some nine ships with the tutor, which was great. A lot of my QFIs had never done that. So again, there were opportunities to push not just the students, mm -hmm. but the staff as well. Yeah. Then you went to fly something a bit more powerful. You went on to the Tucano. Can you tell us about this role? Uh, yeah, my last flying tour I've just finished, in fact. Um, I'd never flown Tucano, so I got the opportunity again after another ground tour to be the OC operations at RF Linton on Ooze um, and to see out both Tucano and to look at the future of what could or could not happen to the airfield. Um, I like Tucano. Um, it's about the performance of a Mark 1 Hurricane. So I, I, I used to refer to it as the Mark 1 Hurricane Simulator, <laughs> uh, and somebody gave me the opportunity to fly most days, so it was great to go off and fly a Hurricane around Yorkshire most days, is certainly how I viewed it. Yep. Um, I do remember the, the, the Carno coming into service. Uh, I was a Jet Provost man, as I said before, and it, it arrived with a bunch of cynicism. Um, mm. Four aft cockpit, not side by side. Side by side was seen as the best in teaching practice for early days. Uh, built in Ireland, there was a lot of analogies with shipbuilders for shorts, and uh, the aeroplane had, a, as many aeroplanes do when they first arrive in service, took a little bit while to get going. Um, there were some things we did with it which were different, so all the students were taught and shown inverted spinning, um, which is rather than being erect when you spin, you turn the aeroplane yeah. upside down, spin it from there, so you're hanging in the straps with the world going round. When you look up, you see the ground. Um, and that was kind of the devil's own work when it came in, and having never flown it, I'd kept this perception of a slightly strange aeroplane that you did weird stuff with. Yeah. Um, when I went to fly it sort of two and a half years ago, it was great. It's mm -hmm. a lovely aeroplane, it's well balanced and harmonised. It's a good fighter lead-in, so a lot of the stuff that you need to understand in an aeroplane about how to coordinate, how it rolls mm -hmm. and, and how those things work, it was perfectly suited for a Hawk T1 lead-in. Similar instrumentation. Um, whilst it's a propeller aeroplane and you have to balance with you, you move the rudders to balance whenever you change power, um, but the motor skill sets needed had a direct translation across to the T1 uh, yeah. in terms of the left, right, up, down and the way it operated. And it was fun to fly as well. Um, mm -hmm. There wasn't an issue with the fore aft teaching arrangement. Yeah. Uh, and as a last tour in the Air Force before I, I've 39 years and just over I've done now, so 37, 38 years in the service flying a little hurricane simulator was great fun.
brilliant. So David, do you have any hobbies? Um, yes, I don't really get a time for too many. Um, ride motorcycles, spend a lot of time fettling and playing with those. Um, I also like scuba diving as well, so we travel around the world, Helen and I, scuba diving and seeing what we can do. Not bad, that. <laughs> it, it's all right. I, I've had an insurance salesman come to the door when I was running the Red Arrows trying to sell me life insurance, and when I told him that uh, my daytime job was ultra-level formation aerobatics, I rode motorbikes and I'm a scuba diving instructor, he just left. Yeah, he just left, yeah. <laughs> Probably wise. So, this could be a difficult one. Favourite aircraft you have flown? F4. Without oh, a doubt. Point. As a pilot's aeroplane, it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, the Hawk's great, the Hawk T1 was lovely, the F3 was great, but if you want a pilot's aeroplane, then the F4. Mm -hmm. Is there an aircraft you wish you could have flown that you haven't? Uh, Typhoon. typhoon I, I've right? tried many times to talk people into taking me to fly a Typhoon and I haven't. I've flown the Sim. Um, I think the performance of the Sim, if it's anything like the aeroplane, will be phenomenal. Absolutely, yeah. And do you currently fly? Uh, as of the 20th of November, no. I'm on a ground tour with the um, military flying training system team up at Abbey Ward in Bristol, uh, but obviously Tucano before that. Um, I'm contemplating looking at some civilian flying, but we'll just see what the Air Force has to offer. Well, David, thank you very much for giving a bit of your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much.